Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hey everybody, this is Shane Claiborne and I'm so glad you could listen to the show. I get to have a lot of friends on the show that are doing great stuff. I mean, that's the main reason I do this little radio show and podcast so I can... Um, celebrate the work of really great people doing great work and my my buddy that's joining me today he's a, he's a good friend eric cussman the reverend eric cussman and if you're just listening you can't see his attire but he's doning his uh, uh uh collar and you've been i mean first of all you've been doing all kinds of great stuff over across the river in new jersey um giving out like hundreds of toys right we just gave out uh, apparently 900 uh, or more toys at the simple way, uh, all kinds of, uh, when I say we, it's my friends and neighbors that have been organizing all that, but, uh, you did the same thing. You've been giving out lots of stuff in Jersey to families and, uh, have a very vibrant community there in Trenton. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We just had our annual toy drive, uh, about 350 to 400 kids were able to have a gift this Christmas, uh, we had a, a, a Santa Claus. We had elves running around. On little I really pop- thought the elves, one of the elves was you. And then I was d- very disappointed when it wasn't. But yeah, maybe next year. Yeah, they were throwing candy canes out to the kids <laughs> while they were riding on these bicycles. It, it, it was like a circus, man. It was it was fun. We created an atmosphere that was welcoming to the families. Uh, all the kids were appreciative that came. The, the parents were really appreciative. So um, uh, it's a beautiful event that we started. That was our fourth one that we did, you know, uh, so. We look to keep on going with it. It's exciting. I mean, every time I'm over there, you got like this just beautiful mix of people. It kind of feels like the the table that Jesus sat with all kinds of different folks uh, kind of building community together. But there's a lot of congregations that are struggling to make it. You know, there's a lot of folks that have had a hard time coming back from COVID or find folks not really going to church anymore. Um but a lot of this isn't rocket science, right? It's just relationship building. It's creating a space where people feel loved. And um, you want to say anything more about what it's what it looks like to pastor in the 21st century, well, in a time of deconstruction and people leaving church? Well, I, I don't know if there should be so much of quote unquote deconstruction, but actually, you know, getting back to the simple ways of actually being the church. You know, and I think, you know, Christendom as a whole in this country has lost track of that. Either we've gotten way too political and chosen political parties, which we, we create these little silos. Right. Or we're so inward, so focused that, you know, we, we like worship our contemporary worship songs are talking about my Jesus, my savior. which you're so focused on I all the time, you forget about the we in the beloved community. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of the pre, uh, the principles we institute here is we're outward focused. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, how can I minister a communi- to a community if I don't know their needs? Yeah. What they care about or what issues they're concerned about. And that that's what, you know, as pastors and clergy out there, those who have the audacity to want to go preach the gospel, right, have to be able to listen. You know, some preachers yeah. don't like to listen. They like to talk, 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 Shane. But yeah, they don't I know. To their constituents. And- 
right? We, we've developed this ear to listen to the community, you know? Um, we just began a uh, free ESL class for the community. Now, mind you, the South Ward of Trenton is like 80% uh, Latin A. They come. They come from either Guatemala, uh, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Honduras. They they come from somewhere in South America. Communities like we really would like to learn English. Mm-hmm. That's ministry. Yeah. So we created a free ESL class where we have about seventy folks in attendance every Saturday learning. Well, how do you afford that? No. Oh, mm-hmm. See, your job is to be able to be creative, right? So I've networked with Princeton University where they send me a whole bunch of TAs for free. Yeah. Classes. That's many. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you you um, haven't always been a Lutheran pastor, uh, but I think it's interesting that when, you know, when we met, you were filling the call to ministry. Eventually you begin. But um, you should tell people like uh, uh, we've, you know, people can read more. Eric's on the Red Letter Christian site. We've done shows like this before. But I think the backdrop's interesting of how you became Lutheran, so you should at least share well, that. So the whole backdrop, even with you, you say in my for, in my formation of pastoral call or ministry call. Yeah. But you know, to be honest, uh, you know, uh, you know, I served twelve years incarcerated in New Jersey State Prison. You know, I grew up not in a church. I never picked yeah. up a Bible, and I think growing up, I stepped foot in a church twice in my life. It was a wedding and a funeral. Besides that, I've never stepped foot. I thought I would burn up if I stepped in a church. <laughs> You know, and how I met you is I read your book, Irresistible Revolution. I was like, wow. I was like, this joker right here actually got something nice. To, like, there's something about this. This is this is like Christianity right here. Let me write this guy a letter because, you know, you're in a prison cell. What else are you going to do? Right. So I actually wrote a handwritten letter for those who know people do write letters. Right. It's not all emails. Um, And uh, Katie wrote me back, your wife. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we developed a friendship. But that was that was the informative years. Where I, I read Dr. King, where I read uh, uh, James Cone, where I read uh, a lot of Cornell West, you know, yeah. you know, and, and uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's that's one of the reasons why I think Luther was like Luke being a Lutheran was always in my call because that dude was radical, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, how I became Lutheran is the e- the Lutheran church, the ELCA was the only church that would accept me with my background. The only church. Right. Mm. And I every, remember- t- every time I hear it, it it both is uh, I, I mean, it's such a complicated. When I f- hear that, it's just like, oh man, it, my my heart sinks a little, and yet is also really glad that you're a pastor and that the Lutherans celebrated grace. As you know, there's a little precedent for that in the Lutheran tradition. Well, that's how you got to look at a grace, you know, and, and that makes you think. You know, you know, my my experience is probably not the only experience. How many mm-hmm. other folks that were formerly incarcerated that have to deal with this? Um, well, I like to call it the mark of Cain, right? Mm. They're 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 always going to be uh, stigmatized for the rest of their life because they were incarcerated, mm-hmm. you know? and it plays out in the real world when they try to get a job, right? Or yeah. a car loan, or 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 trying to rent a house, right? Because they do all these background checks, but it also plays out in the church. Yeah. You know, the church was supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be these followers of Christ who was who who walked this world with radical love. Come on, and we're not doing that. I will turn around and ask these folks, are you really Christian? Yeah. You really believe in Christ? You know, um, I always remember uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus was feeding folks, right? Yeah. And, and the authorities ran down on Jesus. Like, Jesus, you can't feed on the Sabbath. Yeah. 
think about that. But he fed on the Sabbath. He broke a law to feed folks. Mm. Right. He he went above the social norm to make sure somebody was need was met. Yeah. That's what the church needs to do today. We have to go above these norms, go above and beyond. You know, they like you to color in the circles. Right. But we got to color outside the circles. That's it. Well, that, y'all, that, that voice you're listening to is Eric Cussman, the Reverend Eric Cussman. I also got to be the best man in his wedding, become really uh, great friends over the years. Uh, he's on our board now for Raw Tools, and we're always doing stuff together on the web page at Red Letter Christians. But part of why I wanted you to have, to have you on the show today is because you've been doing a whole bunch of organizing and work, um, bringing attention to folks that are currently incarcerated you mentioned you spent you know 12 years inside and you haven't forgotten those that are still there and you know for folks listening in from other countries i think it's really helpful to remember that um you know this is where the u.s really stands out as an outlier in our incarcerating our own people we have about um five percent of the global population um but a quarter of the world's prisoners um there's more folks incarcerated now um, than there were folks enslaved in the 1800s, over 2 million people. And right now, one in every three African-American boys, one in three African-American boys can um, expect to be incarcerated um, or under judicial constraint in their lifetime. So it's a way that we've become, um, you know, accustomed to controlling population to dealing with other factors that are out there, um, largely economics. Many of these are nonviolent crimes, but crimes related to the drug economy or economics. And so there's all kinds of layers of this that um, we that believe in Jesus and follow Jesus should care about. And there's a lot of uh, abuse that's happening inside. So um, say a little bit more, man, about like the, the, the recent stuff that you've been seeing and exposing. And just like you wrote a letter to me, you're getting letters now from folks that are locked up that want people to know and see um, the abuses that they're experiencing, right? That's right. Um, well, I'll preface it like this. You got folks that uh, are incarcerated right now that, um, you know, uh, if, you, if you may know, they legalize marijuana in New Jersey. All right, it's legal. But um, there are still 31 people incarcerated in New Jersey for marijuana. Mm. But they legalized it, right? Just just wrap your head around that. They legalized something, but you're still incarcerated. Uh, African-American men, 31 of them, while uh, uh, white business owners are operating these dispensary shops all over the state. Yeah, I sat with one on an airplane, a multimillionaire that had made money off of marijuana legally. And, you know, and, and just like, man, the disparity, like the, the contradiction. I put, I, I put that out there to show the disparity in the systems. You know, a lot of people think, you know, you watch Law and Order and you watch cops, you know, bad boy, bad boy, what you're going to do when they come for you. So th there's this like American psyche that people need to be punished. Right. For land of a free, we have so many people incarcerated. So this is not really a free land when we have so many laws on the book that persecute uh, minoritized folks. Mm -hmm. right? You go into prisons, the most makeup of people incarcerated are African-American and uh, Latinx population. And if you go to North and the North America, it's mostly the native population, you know, the, 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 the first tribes and first peoples. So I think that, that that's true in other countries too. You know, when you go to like uh, Australia, Aboriginal Australians are disproportionately represented in the prisons. I mean, it's, it's like that everywhere. I mean, in a lot of places, but like 
we, when when we look at our country and the evolution, right, the 13th Amendment, there's a great film, 13th, you know, that tracks how we moved from uh, slavery to mass incarceration. So, um, but uh, go ahead, man. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, just that 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 mindset that the, the public has about punishment, right? Yeah. Speaking from the experience of serving 12 years, it. Being incarcerated is probably one of the most dismal PTSD ridden environments you could ever be in. You know, there's this misconception that, you know, you go you go to prisons, you know, they'll tell you if you're a male, you're, oh, you're going to get raped by somebody or you're going to get killed by a gang. That's not really going to happen. The newsflash, if that happens, that's few and far in between. It, it's not a common occurrence. The real fear that somebody has when they're incarcerated is the people that wear blue uniforms corrections officers that are known to kill people while they're incarcerated, especially here in the state of New Jersey. And speaking of the advocacy point, New Jersey has one women's prison, right? One women's prison. And right now there's like 13 to 15 officers indicted for raping women that are incarcerated. This happening right now, right now in New Jersey. So working with the governor's office, um, I worked with many other faith leaders with uh, Faith in Action and Faith in New Jersey, folks that are uh, my rabbi friends, my uh, my iman friends, my ecumenical partners, that we've been working to get the prison shut down, right? Uh, right now, they only shut down half of the prison. I don't know why they think only half is going to solve a problem, but the whole thing needs to go away. So this is an active thing going on right now with the abuse that happened to the female population. But that's, that, that's no small thing to see anything change is significant. So y'all been you've been organizing and exposing it. Yeah, well, even after that, uh, the former commissioner, uh, uh, he stepped back after that. All that uh, abuse scandal came out, like when it all came to light. So now, now the governor appointed a new commissioner who we've been having many meetings with. We sat down with her uh, three times in her office. But um, so that's happening in the women's prison. And there's there's other work that you've been seeing, too, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, specifically, I'll speak on Southwood State Prison, where um, the officers were running an underground fight club. In other mm -hmm. words, they were forcing uh, those incarcerated to fight each other and they were betting on them. And that the uh, prison, uh, the people incarcerated refuse to participate. They take their commissary, their visitations, or they would also cause them bodily harm. Mm. So we protested outside. Uh, we've written our letters. We've sat down with the commissioner over this. And currently right now, uh, the administrator of the prison, or you would say a warden of the prison, has been let go. So mm. we were able to get a new warden into place to hopefully see some change. Uh, we've been advocating for um, uh, uh, civilian review board, right? Uh, civilian walkthroughs, working with the abundance person's office that we've been kind of working with. Uh, his name's Terry Schuster. We've been trying to work real close with him because clergy wants to walk through and see the conditions now. Right. Not announced. We want to do like he does where we could just come with him at any time unnoticed. Yeah. You know? So they have no time to paint the walls and make it look pretty, you know? Yeah, we And part of, part of the reason that you, I know all this is because, you know, folks that are still inside and folks are looking for advocates on the outside that can um, help bring attention and bring change ultimately. Right. I mean, this is I think of that verse in Hebrews that says, remember those who are incarcerated as if we were incarcerated with them. So that I mean, th this idea that we're to be in solidarity with those who are vulnerable. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot more vulnerable than being 
locked up in there and having so little um, ability to prevent harm being done to you if you're mm-hmm. being forced to fight each other, you know, having your body violated by the folks that are supposed to, at least in theory, be there to, uh, you know, protect you. So I just received this email right now while we're in this call, and I'm going to read an excerpt from it, okay? Yeah. Uh, Good day, Reverend. My name is blank, because I'm keeping names out. I've reached out to you with hope of having a conversation, getting some input with you with the nature of my call. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to call. I don't know why I cannot get help. I am praying for some type of direction. I saw you speaking online and would like to eternally thankful if you can hear me. My son is in Southwood State Prison, and there are disturbing things getting back to me. I need to talk to someone. I've reached out to the facility, the Department of Corrections. I feel at a loss, like a dog chasing my tail. And my son expressed to me that he has been threatened by the officers. He does not feel safe. He is being targeted, and she fears something will happen to him. And I'll end that there. These are letters I receive daily. Yeah. Daily. Mm. So because I've known where I come from, and it's interesting we're in the Advent season, right? You know, uh, just got done with John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness. These letters are like the John the Baptist crying out into the wilderness, Pave the way for the Lord. Or in other words, pave the way for those that are going to help uh, institute and usher in justice to these these situations. Because if somebody's incarcerated, right, wrong, or indifferent, guilty, not guilty, if somebody's taken out of society, you need to treat them as human beings, Mm. not like dogs in cages, you know? And this has been a mentality going on with incarceration before time can tell. Um, I feel that burden and call of everybody I left behind to ensure people are at least fed correctly, treated correctly, getting the help they need so they can come out and be productive members of society, mm-hmm. you know, and back into the beloved community instead of being stigmatized, treated less than, and not even called by their name. Right. Yeah. When I was incarcerated. My name wasn't Eric. Yeah. It was zero five, five, six. It was a number. Yeah. I had to respond to my real name. Yeah, the the dehumanizing is part of the point, right? Like the the cruelty is part of the point, and I I think of even like uh, when we went to the the cemetery outside of uh, the walls unit in Texas where the executions happened, the the gravestones actually have numbers on them, not names. They're they're just numbers of folks that died inside or were executed. Um, if they're buried in the prison cemetery, they just have that DOC now the the Department of Corrections number on there. And, um, and, you know, I think the way that the system wears you down, too, I was thinking of that um, one of the mothers that was not allowed contact visits. So she was not allowed to hug her own son for 20 years without any any contact, any like touch or a kiss or a hug from from your mother. I mean, it's just unimaginable how we think that's going to make someone healthier and 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 that, that that's why you know as as we think of our entire system the thing is designed to punish uh, not to restore or heal uh, so many times some of the funding the programs that are the most effective in redeeming and restoring bringing vitality and life to people are the least funded right bro that's right absolutely they are but what is funded are the prison systems right i think next to war uh, mass incarceration is the second highest growing industry in this country, which is completely insane, which yeah. um, uh, the tentacles of, of of the carceral state run real thick. Because as you may know, Shane, uh, you were with me, but uh, 
my, my alma mater, uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. Yeah, we should talk about it. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, the chair of their board of trustees is a man named Michael Fish, who owns Global Tellink, which is the prison privatized phone company, also known as Viafath. Right. So I've been advocate try, trying to uh, advocate on that behalf and protest in there. But what we also did, we introduced legislation into New Jersey to try to make all telecommunications within uh, prisons free. Yeah. So if I can't get him out of there, at least I'm going to try to hurt his pockets. Another thing that we're doing right now, I want the, I'm gonna... the number one piece of contraband in prisons is a telephone. A... Well, remember, it's fifteen dollars for a phone call. Fifteen yeah. call. It's completely insane. Yeah, and, and you think of the folks that are just trying to keep in touch with their family and kids. And I think a lot of folks outside the the country may not know too that, you know, we you're not you're not if you work when you're incarcerated, you're not guaranteed even a minimum wage. You can be paid what like a dollar a day, right? Yeah, yeah, thirty three cents an hour for like five hours of work. So that's why when we say that the Thirteenth Amendment that was is is you know kind of noted as the amendment that abolished slavery. Um, it says in that amendment that slavery or involuntary servitude is illegal unless the person is convicted of a crime. So we right. literally wrote it into the, the amendment that you don't have those same rights if you're incarcerated. And now as we see the, the prison build up as a new form of uh, slavery, a new workforce that's working for sometimes companies like McDonald's and AT&T and Eddie Bauer that, that are using prison labor because they don't have to pay people anything to do the work. Uh, so it, it's all a part of this, uh, uh, you know, system of, of capitalism and of exploiting people's bodies and lives for uh, a profit. So we got that going on one real quick. I, I just want to touch on this. We have legislation now passed on to uh, allow folks with a felony conviction to sit on a jury in the state of New Jersey. Hmm. Heard in 2024. So keep that in your prayers, because um, we've discovered when, when when people go to trial, you know, you're supposed to have a jury of your peers. We found out yeah. because so many of these nonsensical criminal convictions, a uh, minoritized person usually sits in front of a jury of all white folks. Which is not a jury of their peers. So pray for that as we keep that going in legislation. But the fight isn't over. They know me and they probably don't like me, but that's OK, because, you know. I look at this. I'm not in the ministry to be liked. I'm in ministry to do God's will. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And so as we, you know, folks are listening to the show and thinking how they um, might be more uh, connected uh, or that they could join some work that's trying to bring about change for folks that are incarcerated. Are there a few ways that folks can, um, take a step that direction or join other groups that we're working with. I mean, they can obviously follow you and red letter Christians, but what else would you say to someone that's like, how can I do more? Wherever they are located, find out what activism groups are around. You can, you can network with the NAACP, the national action network, any red letter Christians, any faith in action group, uh, innocence project. There's so many groups out there. You can find them local. Google's a beautiful thing. You'll find out where they are. And also write your legislators, be, be a pest, you know, create a pen pal program. Uh, the persistent widow. Yes. Very persistent. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the judge that didn't care about justice that uh, just gives justice because the persistent widow bugs him enough. So yeah, there's a little, that's precedent. a good Christmas but, message right there. Shane, just be like the persistent widow. <laughs> Eventually they're going to hear you. Eventually they're going to get tired of you. So 
Well, we got one minute left, two minutes left. You want to talk about, um, you know, your friend, Dr. Cornell West running for president. You want to say anything about that? <laughs> well, I did meet Dr. <laughs> while I was incarcerated. He came and spoke at Albert C. Wagner and we had a conversation. Uh, how about that? I have a, a signed book by his at home <laughs> from that day. You know, we were we we've been together a whole bunch of times, but one of my favorites was we were on a plane together, flying out to Standing Rock to stand uh, with the folks there. You know, blocking the pipeline. But yeah, well, if he could get it, so be it. Because <laughs> listen, what we got right now, it's like it's just hard to comment on, and I think that's one of the models that I really like speaking from the Christian ethic, right? You know, Jesus is Lord, right? Caesar. Yeah. Can be Shane, right? Caesar is not. Yeah, and our brother uh, Dr. West often says that uh, justice is what love looks like in public. So we we need to be making that love public and getting in the streets right now, getting inside the the prisons. I got a, a letter from a, a guy here, one of the other ones that wrote me from death row. He's not on death row anymore, but mm -hmm. he sealed it up and it says, "I just was moved off death row," and he said, "I just walked on grass." For the first time in 40 years, yeah. in 40 years, he hadn't walked on grass. And so this is what we're doing to people, y'all. And the whole idea of justice in the Bible is connected to righteousness. It's not just about punishing people for what they did wrong. It's about restoring things and healing things uh, and setting things right again. So these models of restorative justice that even someone who's committed a crime. As my brother Brian Stevenson says, we're all more than the worst thing that we've ever done. So we believe in grace. We believe in redemption and our justice system should leave room for grace and mercy and redemption. Uh, so follow the Reverend Eric Cussman, y'all. Let's support what he's doing as he's trying to bring about change and we're out of time. But thanks every week for listening in to uh, the show. And you can see more about all the work that we're doing at redletterchristians.org. Check it out. Become a part of the movement. Thanks, bro. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.